Welcome to Greyhounds Make Great Pets with Rory Garay, TJ Beater, and Kathy Garay. Each week, we talk about the connections between owners and their pets with an emphasis on topics that apply to greyhounds. If you want to hear more about your best friend, stay tuned. Now, here are your hosts. Happy first show of September, one and all. And today, we have a back-to-school special. Pay attention, intrepid listeners, because our guest is Lee Livingood. Hey, didn't you write that book, Retired Racing Greyhounds for Dummies? Why, indeed she did, and I'm sure that was meant just for you. Today, Lee will be sharing tips to help us be better humans for our dogs. Many of us know that Lee has been a fixture in the greyhound adoption community and a professional dog behavior consultant for more than 20 years and has conducted workshops on greyhound topics in the U.S. and in Canada. Lee is the first person in the U.S. to offer a Greyhound-specific training class, and for more than 15 years, she has conducted the fabulous Greyhound 101, and it's a basic learning class for Greyhounds and their people. Now, a little background on Lee. She's taught seminars on dog problems and on dog aggression at Cutstown University for their dog management and training program uh, during the program's existence, and she currently teaches reactive dog classes at Redfern Canines, a training center in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Lee also volunteers her time to advise greyhound adoption groups everywhere and serves as a behavior consultant for a local all-breed rescue group. Oh, my. She is a busy, busy woman, and we are excited that she's able to find some time to join us today. Lee, welcome to Greyhounds Make Great Pets. Gee, you sounded like you were talking about somebody else. That's hardly that sounds like me. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> it's First you. thing I'm going to do is apologize. My, my allergies are acting up, so I'm going to try really hard not to spend the, the time clearing my throat. So I'm sorry. If you do, do that's fine. That. That's oh. okay. We, we got you, and not a problem. Well, I think uh, folks know that this is our second incarnation of uh, Greyhounds Make Great Pets, and I think Lee was one of the first guests we ever had on Greyhounds Make Great Pets uh, a number of years ago. So, Lee, it's good to have you back and uh, discuss our, our love for animals and uh, taking care of them and training them right. Well, thank you. It's nice to be back. It's been, it has been a long time since the last incarnation, so it's good to have yeah. you back, yep. too. Oh, thank you. Um, Well, we know a lot has um, changed since the first publication of Retired Racing Greyhounds for Dummies. Um, It's pretty much a Bible, you know, one of probably the top five books that all greyhound adopters either have read, should own, or hurry up and go buy one. Um, But (laughs) let's... Uh, bring bring us up to date, and we're just going to let you go because you can you you oh. got no problem in, in telling us what to do. Um, so what's new? What's what do you see new in the greyhound adoption community that you might want to take a rolled up newspaper to? <laughs> <laughs> Probably lots of things. Um, where do I start? Uh, I guess one of the things that for me has always been kind of a pet peeve is this sense that people have, um, that greyhounds, because they're so mellow, 
um, and that they see them as couch potatoes, that they really don't need to do anything more than to bring them home and show them where the sofa is. And as a result, they're really missing an incredible opportunity for bonding and relationship building and, mo- and just as importantly, for the kind of emotional and physical and mental stimulation that, that dogs, regardless of breeds, need. In fact, the truth is, is all animals need. You know, there, there's a whole bunch of research going on now about um, enrichment stuff for all kinds of animals. I mean, I've seen stuff recently on enrichment activities for rats and enrichment activities for things that we don't even think of as pets as a rule, you know, ferrets. And, and, and when you get to the animals, the domestic animals that we often keep for pets, horses, cats, um, you know, dogs, and there are just so many things that we can do that make their lives richer and fuller that we're just not taking advantage of. And and those start with a lot of those start with with dogs anyway, and greyhounds particularly, with taking an appropriate kind of training class. Now, you know, I still feel that even though there are way more greyhounds out here now than there were twenty years ago when the book was almost twenty years ago when the book was published, um, there's still not a whole lot of of knowledge among the average trainer population. Uh, about how unique these dogs can be when they come in, when they come off the track and into a class. So you know, that still need, we still have some work to do there, uh, in, in terms of educating other trainers and, and whatever. And I try to do that locally as much as I can. But um, you know, it. <clears throat> but just being able to. Bring a dog to a class where someone has at least some minimal understanding of greyhounds and greyhound behavior, and and working and as a as a handler as a, as a an adopter, working through a manners class or something like that with a greyhound, just does so much to increase the bond. You know, one of the first things they say before my class starts, we do a two-hour seminar without the dogs, so we can talk about learning and behavior and the kinds of things that go with it. And I basically end that class talking, saying something to the effect of, if you're not both having fun, you're doing it wrong. Because we, we tend to um, think of dog training as something we do to our dogs as opposed to something we do with them. And by turning it into something we do with them, we're providing them all kinds of learning opportunities. And, and the opportunities... I've seen so often how people are embarrassed by their dog's behavior so their dogs don't get to go anywhere. Uh, and that's even true of greyhounds. As, de- as, you know, as mellow as they can be, if they're jumping all over people or pulling at the leash or the same kinds of things that cause problems for any other breed you know, uh, adopter, um, they just don't get to go places. So you know, a class can serve that purpose too, but I really prefer that the focus of, of training um, is on the relationship and on finding ways to provide a certain amount of mental stimulation and uh, enrichment, environmental enrichment for the dog. You know, things like puzzles and, you know, treat puzzle toys and things of that sort that are just, you know, so important to maintain uh, mental uh, health. 
and uh, and and keep dogs young and and vibrant for all of their lives, as, as opposed to thinking that well, they're just going to grow old and and become a little senile, just like you know we tend to do with the human population. Um, you know, we know how important mental stimulation is and environmental enrichment is for humans. Um, and we're only beginning to learn how truly important it is for animals as well. So I kind of like to focus the classes on on that. Um, the other thing that I find is that um, because the dogs have come off the track and out of a track environment, uh, there's not a lot of understanding about what that means in terms of what their experiences are. Um, I often will get something to the, you know, and pick a behavior, it almost doesn't matter what, but I'll use walking as the example because that's one where I hear it most often. He's just, the dog freezes, just stands there. You've taken him for a walk and bam, he's standing there, stock still. He's just being stubborn. No, he's terrified. You know, this is something he has never seen before and we tend to think, well, it's like any other dog, you take him for a walk for, you know, half an hour and you bring him home. Well, if the dog's not had that exposure, for some dogs, that's just too overwhelming, and they do what dogs do when they're frightened. They freeze or they flee. Um, you know, and, and greyhounds tend to be really good at the freezing part uh, until they get to the point where they're running. And, and so when they stop and just freeze up, instead of giving them the opportunity to learn that moving ahead is, is helpful and moving ahead is going to mean lots of fun down the road, um, it turns into a, I don't want to call it a battle, but a sort of force of will. You know, it, it's my way or the highway, and we're going ahead or we're dragging it back home or whatever, instead of thinking about, about it from the dog's point of view and recognizing that this dog's frightened and here are some, and, and there are ways that you can help that dog overcome that. The start, the first part would be, uh, don't go for a walk for half an hour, you know, go for five minutes or do the same route 10 times for five minutes each or whatever it may be rather, and then gradually expand the range so that the dog becomes familiar with the environment that they're in. Um, and I'm going to stop there for a moment just to see, you know, so any, so you can jump in with any questions and then I'll start out again. <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't have any questions, but I did want to kind of answer quest Kathy's question about what do I see that I would love to uh, take a rolled-up newspaper to. And I'm I'm really getting tired of these people when they have problems just going out to the Internet and start asking oh. instead of getting the book. Um, again, it's Retired Racing Greyhounds for Dummies. And as um, Joan Bell Isle, who was at the time the president of Gray, the Greyhound Project, she had stated that this book was the next, next best thing to having an experienced Greyhound owner living with you. So if you don't have this book, I would recommend you go out and get it, read it, before just jumping out onto some discussion page on Facebook. Actually get some knowledge from somebody who knows what they're talking about. And I admit that there are many things I wish I had the opportunity to do a revision on it because there are many things that I've changed about the way I approach them, some training things and whatever. Um, and there, of course, the, the, the part on healthcare and whatever have changed significantly as we know more about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do wish there were things that I could just go say, no, 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 let's do this instead. Um, <laughs> 
not that any of the advice in it will get you in trouble. It's just that um, as I've grown, you know, I'm, I tell anybody anytime, and, and, and you know that I'm not reticent, that I do tend to say what, pretty much what I think, that um, every single dog I work with teaches me something new. And it doesn't matter whether it's a greyhound or some other breed. I learn every behavior uh, client that I have, you know, every dog teaches me something new, teaches me how to look for things that I didn't know how to look for before. And, you know, I've not only been training professionally for almost a quarter of a century, I actually trained my first dog in 1960. And I'm still learning. Um, You know, I literally booked from the library. um, And at that point in time, here's what training was. At, At that point in time, you trained in the same place at the same time for 45 minutes every day. Now, Anybody who's working with dogs now knows that that's about bad. That's as bad as it can get almost, unless they set an hour at the same time, same place, same time. Because what you end up with is a dog that learns how to behave properly at 5 p.m. in the kitchen and doesn't know how to behave anywhere else in the world. I've seen dogs that have obedience titles on them. I mean, high-level obedience titles that can't be taken into the vet's office without attacking every dog in the place. Um, yet in the, the obedience ring, because that's the only place they've ever trained, they're perfect. Um, so, you know, it, it, so much has changed. And, and the way in which we approach training, you know, then it was a very much master-servant kind of, well, master-slave kind of relationship. And now we've, bec- we've moved to a, a, a point where it's a, a companionship. You know, this is my pal. This is my. This is virtually like a member of my family. But unfortunately, the flip side of that, and I wish you. I'm glad none of you can see how much I talk with my hands because I'm sitting right now watching myself, <laughs> and there's no one in the room. But we know you. The dogs. <laughs> <laughs> we know you. We know those hands are flying. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I have to say, the only thing that makes me feel better is that you know, I've watched Beto O'Rourke, and he's worse. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's someone who uses their hands to talk more than I do. But anyway, <laughs> so um, and I forgot where that train just went off the track. I was talking about um, da, 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 training. Well, oh, well, <laughs> let me think for a moment to see if I can get that train back on the track. Um, well, it, well, you know, was, somebody yells shiny, and we've be. been diverse. <laughs> Pardon me? I said somebody Hello? yelled shiny and, or, or squirrel, and we're all off on another yeah, track yeah, here. Right, so. yes, 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 squirrel. Uh, <laughs> and away my ADHD goes. Um, but anyway, so training used to be very much like that, and now we're seeing it come toward we're dealing with our, our dogs as family members, as friends as companions and you know it, it, and that really didn't begin to occur until the early I guess late 80s early 90s um, when Ian Dunbar started working toward tra- worked on pet dog training because up until that point virtually all the training was either very military geared toward military you know police and and military training type stuff or obedience competition and, you know, people like Ian Dunbar and some others brought it into some people's living rooms. And, uh, and this, 
phrase that's often used to describe Ian is that he took the hurt out of dog training because it moved from this um, one kind of model to a kindness, treat-oriented, positive reinforcement, which has been the best thing that you know, could possibly have happened. Um, the, the other thing, though, that's happened that's not so good is this tendency that we have to try to turn dogs into furry children. And there's a difference between treating a dog as a member of the family and actually even having kind of a parental role in terms of how we deal with them as opposed to making them furry babies. Uh, They are not babies. Uh, They are a distinct species with that, that we should revere for what they are. You know, I mean, they're, they're pretty special and what we, a lot of what we do is to spend time trying to make them more human as opposed to finding ways to understand how they're dogs and, and, how, we can, and how we best can communicate with dogs. The amount of, of research, the amount of information that's come out in, say, the last 10 years about how dogs see and perceive, and by see I mean mentally see, not visually see, you know, how they see and perceive the environment that they're in and, and what their relationship is has changed so much. For instance, um, 20 years, even 20 years ago when I wrote the book, there was still this thing that, you know, dogs aren't capable of some of these, you know, more complex emotions that, you know, they, they don't show jealousy. They're not this, they're not that. Well, guess what? We're finding out that many of those things were not true, that they, they are capable of this. And as we've learned, as more and more people have begun studying dogs, because it used to be that you didn't study dogs, you know. I mean, you, you couldn't put, you know, unless they were in a laboratory, you couldn't make sure that all the variables were the same. And, you know, you couldn't look at them in a home environment and be sure you were getting accurate information because you didn't know how this family would impact this dog versus how that family did. And, all of, and so now we're finding more and more ways to actually study dogs as dogs and just learning so much more about um, their behavior. And, and, and that's also true of other species as well. You know, I mean, the amount of stuff, mm-hmm. things that people are learning about cats and birds and horses and, you know, even cows um, are that, you know, we don't even think of cows as pets, but you know, they do have, we're, we're learning many things about them as well. And I think it's good. Um, the only concern is when people don't notice that stuff. I mean, I spent a lot of time reading about dogs and dog behavior and whatever, and I know most people don't, and unfortunately I wish more of it were making its way out into the general population. And that's one of the things I try to do with my class is, is make it not just a training experience but a learning experience. Um, and, and I see that even people who are doing dog training classes, you know, I'm, I'm taking greyhounds out of the equation, aren't spending enough time teaching people about dog behavior and dog learning. They're spending their time focusing on sit down, come stay. And, and that's really such a minor part. Um, I don't care when my classes are over, if, any, if a single dog in the class can do sit down, come or stay. What I care about is has the class improved that person's relationship with their greyhound? or if I'm working on some other kind of class, you know, whatever dog that is. And I'd really like to see more of that uh, in the dog world and more of that uh, for greyhounds especially, because so, I'm kind of stuck on them. 
uh, you know, it's been 25 years, so I'm kind of stuck. Um, I can't yeah. see myself well, I, with, I will. as much as I love lots of others. I can't see myself with a, with a different breed <laughs> unless I, I'm too old, too old and too fragile to manage a greyhound. So anyway. Well, I think a lot of us have that same thought. And I will say for the last 10 minutes, I've been sitting here like a bobblehead because I fully agree with everything you have said and probably the most important thing any of us can take away from um, your talk today with us is that do not humanize animals, you know, respect them for what they are. And I do think that plays, you know, a big part in how our dogs do behave or how our pets behave. Yes. We all talk baby talk to them, you know, admit it. We all do. But I don't. if you cannot respect, yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> you do. I, 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 you got to witness, you know. Um, well, not big. Yeah. You give them little voices, but that's another story altogether. Yeah. Um, yeah. If we can't respect yeah. them for what they are, then how can we expect them to do what we ask of them? You know, they are not humans. Right. They, they operate a little right. differently. And understanding mm-hmm. that is definitely, you know, the key. And Lee, I tell you, you always talk common sense when it comes to do behavior issues and, and training and assistance. And you've helped us with a couple of our dogs over the years. And yeah, it was, it was basic, but you know, you're freaking out and your dog's doing something and oh my God, what do I do? Oh my, 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 my. And it's just like, calm down. Here's what you're doing. Boom. Take it a deep breath. Yeah. Lee, you were mentioning that, you know, training has evolved over the years. And I know even myself, I have seen things um, over the years and you're always learning. And I do appreciate, I love watching, just observing the pack um, and seeing how they interact mm-hmm. and respecting them for what they are. But just uh, a couple of years ago, had a whole new incident in our house. Uh, we had brought in a, a little youngster. His name was Sasha. And of course, <laughs> as what we expected out of a greyhound puppy, things were getting torn up. And I was, mm-hmm. I completely was believing, oh, it's got to be Sasha. He's the little puppy. He's tearing things up. Well, one <laughs> middle of the night, I'm hearing some noise and I wake up and it's like, well, Sasha's laying next to me. <laughs> Go walking out to the oh. living room only to find out that it, it was our old female who had been ripping up some uh, antique books. <laughs> it was not the puppy. Ooh. It was the the old girl. Yeah. And once she got caught, it ended. But I, it was almost like she's like, oh, the puppy's here. I can do this. He'll get blamed. <laughs> now you are anthropomorphizing. And that one's, <laughs> that one's over the top, Rory. Yeah. <laughs> how, about, how about the arrival of the puppy? Uh, disturbed the balance, and she was exhibiting stress in some manner or another. It may have been. Um, and yeah, you know, she, I, well, she was yeah, a cranky I, dog, but she was very good with the puppy. Well, and, and, and you may be looking at some things that are maternal instinct kinds of stuff, you know. Um, dogs will, when they're preparing to give birth, will start shredding things to create bedding. You know, so maybe the the presence of the puppy and somehow or another kicked some hormonal stuff going on. So there, you know, so, um, you know, so I'm always going to start looking for things that can be explained by science as opposed to things that can be explained by emotion. 
So yeah, but it it was it was um, just funny, and I mean, when I woke up and I look and I saw yeah. there's Sasha laying in bed, I say, wait a minute, mm-hmm. he's here. Why am I hearing destruction going on? <laughs> yeah, and the funniest thing is when when Olga was caught, she she just looked up like she dropped the book, she just trotted away like. Oh, I've been disturbed. Okay, go back to bed. <laughs> oh, you mean I'm not supposed to do this? Okay. <laughs> yeah, really. And, you know, Got the it. funny thing is I had never thought about ripping paper with what mamas do. You know, it it goes, mm-hmm. you know, that is not our experience with greyhounds. So it's like, well, yes, you see that in books and you hear, you know, um, the you know, the farms and they do that and stuff. And But, yeah. Yeah, never thought Olga. Olga was uh, never ish, um, displayed any maternal qualities, but you never know. <laughs> yeah, I mean hormones will do weird things, you know, under weird circumstances. So, and it could be, and it could be, I'm talking on my butt, you know. I mean, uh, having not seen hey, it, I'm going to go with it. It, it sounds, things, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds a lot more sensible than oh, well, she could get away with it, so she did. You know? <laughs> Which is true, too. So, hey, did I hear a squeaky timer in the background, sir? You, you did, but we still got time, a couple minutes. So relax. We got a couple minutes before break? Oh, okay. Um, but, oh. well, I, I do think when well, we come back, I would like maybe Kathy, you could t- kind of talk about your uh, your little uh, learning lesson from Lee about the dogs and their job. Because that did, that did help you. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Yes, with Bobo. Yeah, with Bobo. Yes. Actually, I talked to Lee a lot about Sasha, Bobo. Because he's got his job now as well. That's true. But Lee, real quick question before we go to break, and I know a lot of people have asked and inquired about it. Um, what are the possibilities of a new edition for Retired Racing Greyhounds for Dummies? Anything down well, the pipe? Publisher, publishers make those decisions. I don't. Uh, so, you know, um, at this point, I... There has not been any any interest in shown in doing that, uh, which is unfortunate. So we have to have a mass mailing to your publisher. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> maybe so because my contract does. <laughs> not, that. Not so the problem is that the contract. You know, I don't own the book; they own the copyright, which means that while they have to give me first shot at revising it, they can have anybody in the world they want revise it. Well, I think we want oh, to have racing and for we need the second edition. So, and with that, I do yeah, believe we've so. got to get the pups out so they can relieve themselves. And we will be right back after these messages with more Lee Living Good. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
you ever experienced the joy of living, not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself? Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy, from a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease, to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation. Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on The Voice America Variety Channel. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Hundred three six six one four seven two. 
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Greyhounds Make Great Pets with Rory, TJ, and Kathy. To find out more about the show and what we do, please send an email to gmgp3 at yahoo.com. That's gmgp3 at yahoo.com. Now, back to Greyhounds Make Great Pets. Why, thank you, Mr. Medium Voice Announcer Guy. Yes, I'd like to welcome everyone back to the second half of Greyhounds Make Great Pets. Our guest today is author and dog behaviorist and trainer and really cool person overall, Lee Livingood. And we're going to get right back because I don't need to babble. Lee, welcome back to part two. (laughs) Well, thank you. It's nice to be here with you guys today. Good having you back with us. I um, want to talk a little bit about a, a personal story that I have with you helping Rory and I with one of our dogs. Um, but, oh, it's got to be 10, 13 years ago, something like that. Uh, Rory, uh, when he helped bring back a lot of the dogs from Juarez, Mexico, who were kind of abandoned down there at the track. Um, one of the dogs uh, we kept for ourselves and we adopted. His name was Bobo. And Bobo was uh, youngish at the time and kind of full of beans. And Rory was traveling a lot more. And I was a little overwhelmed uh, because Bobo would behave when Rory was home and when life was normal and everything, you know, would get out of whack. And he'd go nuts and do crazy things like, jump on the dining room table, eat my wallet, you know, things like that. And I forgot. <laughs> I forgot some of those. Yes. Okay. Uh. And, you know, you had said about, you know, taking one of Rory's T-shirts rather than wash it, roll, you know, knot it up, put it with him, mm-hmm. give him things to, to get the sense of Rory, and that yeah, definitely yeah. helped and made a difference. But the biggest thing you told me to do, and, and Rory, too, down the line, is, is things you know, Bobo got a little older, was one of the things he needed was in the structure of the pack, he needed a job. He needed to know what his place was, what, uh, you know, he needed to do and, and have something to do that he could look forward to and know that, okay, it's a perfect day in, in, you know, the Gray Lodge. And we did that. We discovered, well, I think, Rory, you kind of noticed it first because you'd be out cutting, doing the lawn and everything. Why don't you take it from here? Well, his his job was, we called him Ranch Dog Bobo, because his job was to just go out and be out there with us when we were in the yard and be, keep a check on everything, make sure everything, all the sticks and stones were in place. The, and, and I know one time and, when, uh, I think one of the golf tournaments were out here, and, and the Goodyear blimp was flying. You know, he went right out oh. and notified us all that the blimp was flying over the house. <laughs> and he did not stop <laughs> until it was gone. Probably the noise... But, you know, it's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and, and when we're talking about some of those things, you know, giving them a job, in many ways it's, just what, it's exactly what I was talking about earlier about the need for environmental enrichment, the need um, to give them a reason to get up in the morning, and other than to just, you know, move from the dog bed to the sofa or, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, 
And the environmental enrichment can take lots of different forms depending upon the nature of the dog. Uh, one of the things that there's, in fact, I just saw an article. I haven't even had a chance to read more, do more than glance at it. But they're finding that um, things like nose work, you know, teaching, taking dogs to a class where they teach them to find things using scent, has has a tremendous effect on dogs that are underconfident. Um, apparently, it's doing a great job with. Um, it does really well. It works really well with dogs that are reactive to other dogs. Because by and large, when you're doing this work, they're kind of insulated from the other dogs, so they don't have a reason to react. But when they start hunting, you know, using their nose to find these various items, they're so focused on that that they get into that. And and so many times, just finding something for them to do, um, you know, I'm, I'm really seeing a lot more stuff about the value of scent work for a number of different things. Uh, you know, like I said, the whole range from dogs that, are, that lack confidence to dogs that are reactive, and the truth is, is most dogs that are reactive lack confidence. You know, they're, they're, most of them are, are there out of some point of fear. Like right now, I'm, I'm doing a, um, a reactive dog class, and, and there's one dog in the class where you can very clearly see the level of fear that this dog has, and, and that's where his stuff is coming from. So the more confidence he can build, the better he's going to be. Um, and, of course, you know, I could get into the personalities of all of the dogs in the class, but that one in particular, you can visibly see his level of stress. Um, wow. And the others, you know they're stressed because of their behaviors, but they don't, they don't give it off it, it like almost as a vibe the way this one dog does. And um, so, you know, it's, it's just finding things that give them a reason to get up in the morning. You know, and it's something, if you look at what, where we're at as human beings, we, we have the same problem. If, you know, people who uh, fall into a depression find it harder and harder to do anything. And, and you know, I, I seriously believe it's possible for dogs to be depressed also. I mean, there's yeah. no reason why they wouldn't be. Their, their brains work on the same kinds of, of um, um, you know, hormones and chemicals and mm-hmm. things that ours do. So if, you know, if ours can go awry, uh, why can't theirs? And, uh, and the same things apply. You know, it's like if the dog seems down, get them out and about more or find what, figure out, you know, assuming there's nothing physically wrong with the dog because sometimes if they're not acting right, you know, the first thing to do is make sure it's not physical. Um, and I have a mm-hmm. lot of, I'm, I'm going off on one of my tangents again. I have a lot of trouble <laughs> getting people to understand that you can't fix a behavior problem if the, if the problem is being caused by a physical ailment. You know, don't call me about house training until you can tell me for sure the dog doesn't have a urinary tract problem. You know? Right. So see the vet right. first and get the hell off the Internet, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Amen, uh, sister! It, <laughs> Uh, well, let's, you know, I mean, let's take a behavior problem that's, uh, a behavioral problem but, that I know is heard a lot with greyhounds well, and probably other breeds yeah. too. I just don't have them. Um, separation anxiety. Oh um, yeah, it is. Well, it Kathy, is a, a Kathy, problem. Be, Some breeds way that, more than we others. We have a caller, um, so I'd like to bring him online, I'm Mr. Sorry, John yeah. Parker. How are you? I'm good. I hope you're doing well. 
I'm I am at the moment. You know, I'm sitting up taking nourishment. So, <laughs> Rory and uh, Kathy, I just wanted to tell a, and and Lee probably already knows this, but uh, just wanted to tell a story about I, I first saw Lee. Lee used to be a regular fixture at, uh, speaker at um, the uh, North American Greyhound Adoption Conferences back when they were big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stand alone, um, and I—that's I, I, the first place I ever ran into Lee, and she began me on yeah. my journey from the undisneyfication of me, of my viewpoint <laughs> of dogs, uh, and 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 really got me uh, started on thinking about they're not that they're not humans because I was I was definitely in the Disney camp until until I heard Lee speak because it just <laughs> yeah. made so much the logical Disney sense. Disney dogs, yes. And so uh, she, Lee has kind of created a. A monster in me because I'm now the um, I'm the anti fur baby. I'll dispute anybody on, <laughs> on social media that wants to talk about their dogs as being their babies or etc. Et so yeah. Lee, you, I, you've done a great service for the adoption yeah. community uh, by helping more and more well, people. I appreciate that. Realize their dogs are uh, dogs and they're not little babies. They're not four legged for children, et cetera. And so we just have to keep spreading that word. We just have to, have to keep working on that mentality because I don't Thank see you. it. Yeah, I think it's decreasing in the greyhound community. It may not be decreasing in the dog yeah. community at large. It it's really bad with the toy breeds. It's really bad there. But you know, but it is improving in in other places. And I don't know I'm trying to remember for sure where it was, but I think it might have been when I was down there speaking and there was a picnic and somebody decided they were going to have me judge the costume contest. Yes. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> <laughs> Needless That's to say. That's kind of like putting a fox in the hen house, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, I just flat out said, is not, a, well, I won't repeat what I said privately, but let's just say, no freaking way. Uh, <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> And so we ended up with me with me judging the uh, smoothest or silkiest coat as opposed to the uh, as opposed to <laughs> costumes. But uh, but yeah, that one was that, that as most anybody who knows me real, realizes, I'm not big at dressing dogs up. Um, so to which I say, God bless like you. A, you know, like a. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'll settle. I mean, I'm I'm okay with a bandana for a dog that's doing a therapy visit, or you know, maybe you could even talk me into a little hat for that. But that's about it. That's as far as I can go. Uh, yeah, with with costumes for dogs, and they, and they're getting worse. I mean, every time, every year, they, you know, then we start doing the the costumes where the dog and the people are trying to match each other, and it's like, well, yeah. anyway. I'll stop with that because I'm probably annoying a lot of people with that one. But but I've said my piece, so I'll shut up on that. Well, <laughs> well, I'll, John, I'll, if Kathy and would... Rory will indulge me, I'll I'll tell a little story about that that Go particular ahead. event that you went to uh, that I think demonstrates that Lee's expertise with respect to greyhounds is not just adults and former racers; it's also with puppies. Because at that time when Lee came down, this oh, yeah, was for another puppies. group here in Atlanta's. Uh, Picnic. Mm-hmm. It wasn't for our group. Oh, I, I. Uh, That's right. It wasn't. Uh, yeah. I kind of, I kind of spirited her, spirited her away after the event and brought her uh, down to our place because we had a litter of puppies on the ground at the time. This was our first litter. We were breeding yeah. some coursing greyhounds uh, from England, 
And I want and to believe the profile and I'm going to interrupt you to tell you I'm going to interrupt you to tell you that it's just it's amazing that you weren't one puppy down when I left. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It was all I so, could do not to take one with me. But anyway, so. we had these ten eight so anyway. week puppies, and we were going to profile them in the house, whereas they were up in the in the kennel. So we had one of our prospective puppy homes, Lisa Strickland. One by one, she carries these puppies down to the house so that Lee can. Uh, you know, put them through their paces, so to speak, in various stimuli to see if we've got any fearful ones or particularly bold ones. And uh, I, if I, memory serves, Lee, you, were fa- you found that they were they were fairly homogenous, so to speak, in terms of they were all pretty normal, no spooks, no no particularly uh, uh, you know outstandingly Pushy, bold yeah. ones. Yeah. And and I will tell you that as they grew into adults, uh, your your profiling was spot on. And uh, those well, puppies are now eight years old. Oh, it's that long. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we, we need to get you back down so, here for another uh, litter profiling sometime. Oh, that would be great. And, and if you've got any photos of them, I'd love to see them. Okay. I'll, I'll have your email. I'll send them to you. So, Kathy and, uh, okay. and Roy, I'll hush now and let you all get on with um, the program. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to say hello to Lee and tell those stories. Well, and just oh, you hang on I actually had flown uh, Lee sure, out to Arizona on. one time to have okay. her uh, do some work mm-hmm. uh, in one of the racing kennels, uh, do some profiling. Yeah. And she, you know, she knows exactly what she's looking at, and you can learn a lot from um, watch observing Lee and and listening to her. Mm-hmm. But I remember, I think it was uh, when you guys had the North American Greyhound Adoption Conference there in Atlanta. I think uh, Lee, you were there speaking. And I remember before going to the event, somebody was like, hey, have you seen this new book by this Lee Livingood? And it's like, no, I have not yet, but, you know, some point in time I will. And then I'm at the event, and I hear Lee speaking, and I'm like, this is the most intelligent person I've ever heard talk about this. I got the, I need to get to know this person. And, you know, that's where I, you know, got to started talking to Lee and have become good friends ever since there. And she has done a lot to help, you know, Kathy and I with our own dogs. Um, I like to think. Lee, that, are you still you know, uh, are you still doing the seminars I, on the road? When asked, uh, I haven't been. I haven't really. You know, the last couple of years, I kind of had some health issues that I had to back off and take care of. So I'm just really after you know, a kind of hi- well, I wouldn't even call it hiatus because that kind of implies I was having fun. But um, I, I I'm back now to working again, and you know, I really hadn't even been working except for an occasional class and to do a couple. Private thing, so I'm I'm just now back into you know working again and doing that, and of course I'm I'm free to travel almost anywhere anytime someone wants me to come. So um, you know that's, well, I'll that's put in a plug for thing. you if you're if you have an adoption group, especially a, one with in a, in a metro area where you've got a lot of adopters, have Lee down for a, even a day long uh, seminar. She's not expensive, and uh, she's she's a low maintenance guest. And um, <laughs> what your adopters you will learn is amazing. Uh, it really is truly amazing. We we kind of spread the gospel down here in Atlanta with Lee coming for a day, and and so many people came up to me afterwards and said, you know, this has changed the whole way I look at my greyhound and, and the way I regard them and and so forth. And so you know, we were we were spreading more anti fur babyism, and it was a great thing. <laughs> well, I, th- I think I'm going to need to work on getting Lee down to Sandy Paws, to Jekyll Island there. Event. Oh, that would be wonderful. Oh, I'd love to do fun. that. But, you know, 
Well, we'll have to talk uh, after the show. <laughs> yes, we could certainly do that. Um, so, well, no, I know well, Kathy, you um, have I've a behavioral a, sub question or something. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot here, and you're welcome to say um, no comment if you'd like. Um, okay. Your thoughts on? Uh, well, no, I, it's kind of about. It's just about uh, pets in general. Um, your thoughts on uh, the division between a true service dog and the um, right-of-way of companion pets. Um, okay. Do you think are that you is going to... Are talking about emotional support versus service dog, or are you talking therapy dog yeah, versus uh, emotional yes. support versus well, right. service I mean, dog? Or, okay. Yeah, but you know, the people who are going, oh, no, my ostrich, I need him to take this flight. He's got okay. to be able to come on the plane. Uh, okay, <laughs> and, and am I, I allowed to say it pisses me off? <laughs> sure can. <laughs> okay, this <laughs> is me off. You know uh, um, what? I mean, what do you think the the harm? What, or talk to our listeners then, or tell them a little bit about the harm that these kind of okay. things. While we all love our pets and want to be with them, there's okay. got to be a, a definition. Yeah, there does be, and, and that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, you know, I mean, it's gotten to where you can go online and get you know and pay for whatever it is you need to get that dog on, get that dog or that whatever on a plane or or into housing or what and and I think there does need to be more um clarification um uh, more definition I guess that's actually kind of the same thing but not that I don't understand that but but you're also dealing with the rights of one group of people versus the rights of another group of people and and I can't imagine how hard this is for airlines and for you know, uh, retail establishments or whatever, where they know that they can't violate the American with Dis- Americans with Disabilities Act, although they do regularly. And, and it seems it's find it interesting that mostly they do it with real service dogs as opposed to you know the, the emotional support dogs. And I know I'm saying that in a way that sounds like I'm opposed to emotional support dogs, and I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is you can't just pick up your pet lizard and call it an emotional support animal, um, or at least you shouldn't be able to, any more than you can go online and buy paperwork that says your dog's a service dog when there's no way that dog is a service dog. I've seen a number of, been in a number of situations because of what I do where there's someone who has a, quote, service dog, and the dog has no manners at all. Uh, there's clear, it's clear to me that what, if it's had any training at all, it certainly wasn't by anybody who was qualified to do the training. Um, and so I have, a, and, and then we've got the whole thing with people who have dogs that have been registered as therapy dogs who think that, who think that gives them, uh, some certain rights to access that they just absolutely, a therapy dog has absolutely no access rights whatsoever. A, an emotional support dog has some access rights, and a, ther- a service dog is supposed to have full access. Um, and you still, even with the full service dogs, you get in trouble with that, you know, especially now that so many of them are being used with, with people with PTSD because a lot of people don't see that as a real disability. And so if somebody walks in and, and you know, they have a service dog that's, if they're not blind, it's the whole invisible disability thing, which is a whole other story. Um, Right. if If you don't have a cane, if you're not blind, 
if you're not some some visible disability, then you don't need a service dog. So it's such a complicated issue, but I do find myself getting angry about some of the silly stuff I've seen with the, with the emotional support animals, where clearly the animal is just simply, I mean, yes, okay, I get that you want the animal with you, then spend some time training it to behave appropriately. You know, uh, there have been situations right. where these animals, these emotional support animals have bitten people. And now, you know, the airline or whoever is, is being sued because somebody brought an animal on board that was not properly socialized. And, you know, flying an animal is incredibly stressful. Look how stressful it is for us. And we understand it. Can you imagine what it's like for a dog or a cat or a lizard? I mean, I don't know who you, as a support lizard, but maybe somebody does. Uh, you know, uh, you know, they're trying to make pot-bellied pigs and peacocks and whatever. And there has to be some definition of what can and can't be considered an emotional support animal. And I know that's unfair. Um, you know, I hear myself saying it, and I'm thinking, as I'm saying it, I'm thinking, yes, but who am I to decide what is and isn't? And, you know, somebody lives someplace where they can't or has a disability where they can't take care of a cat or a dog or whatever. Uh, so I know there's a, it's way more complicated than that, and I don't want it to sound like I'm not sympathetic, but I do know that it's a difficult issue, and um, and I don't like seeing people who truly need to have service dogs being put at a disadvantage because of a a group of people who are violating the rules or taking advantage of the rules in a way that they just were not intended to be. Exactly. And we are running up against the clock. I think we're going to have to schedule Lee for even another show because you just have so much to say. Um, So... I think with that, I want to thank our engineer, Aaron. Another fabulous job, bud. Our Tacey, our producer, thank you for all you do. I want to thank all our listeners, Russia, all around the world, Ireland. Hey, we're going to be bringing some of your dogs over here shortly. Everyone, hug the hounds of the world. Have a fantastic weekend. Thank you for listening this week to Greyhounds Make Great Pets. Please join your hosts, Rory Goray, TJ Beter, and Kathy Goray for another edition of our program next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a wonderful week.